0: Shut up, and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast. A community of superhero movie fans, teachers, and students. People looking to discover more about superheroes and the world, because both are awesome. Awesome. I'm your comic book culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro. Jan schuyler Hutzma, The scientific scholar.
1: Grant Austin. And
0: our deliberate
2: doctor.
1: How about delightful?
0: Ah, thank you. Delightful.
2: <laughs> Amy Matson Waters. I like delightful. That's good.
3: <laughs> I like how the medical student had to come up with the right word. Oh, shush. Between two media people. Shush, 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 shush. I meant technologies. I'm a, I'm a techie. Take it away,
1: blue text. Sorry. Uh, SMST is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of
3: the film. Whether it's money, comic books, music, or science, or wham! SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode.
2: XCO, give it to you. Wait for you to get it on your own. XCO, deliver to you. Go get some.
1: She's gonna do a superhero landing. Wait for it. (laughs) Woo! Superhero landing. Yeah, that's really hard on your knees. Totally impractical. They all do it. You're a lovely
3: lady, but I'm saving myself for Francis. That's why I brought him.
0: I prefer not to
2: hit a woman, so please play. Me.
1: I mean, that's why I brought her? Oh no, finish your tweet. It's not, if that's fine, just give us a second. There you go, hashtag it. Go get her, Tiger. So pity
3: the dude who pressures her into prom sex. Deadpool! And yes, there will be spoilers. Okay, let's go first
0: opinions. Starting with our doctor, our delightful doctor.
2: Well, this delightful doctor thought Deadpool was also a delight. I really enjoyed the film. It was one of the first films in recent memory that I just wanted to turn around and go back in and watch it again. And part of it is nostalgia. There was a lot of appeal to my Generation X thing going on there. But it was also the rapid-fire joke delivery. It was not old. It was not stale. It was a new take. The breaking of the fourth wall stuff was really fun. And it, it it was just a really entertaining film. And you didn't really have to know who Deadpool was to enjoy it. I think that's a, you know, a key thing for why it's so successful right
1: now. Fantastic. Moving along to Granty. Uh, I thought Deadpool was fucking awesome. It is, I felt the same way. I just wanted to turn around right away and rewatch it. Um, I thought many of the jokes were hilarious. I laughed out loud several times throughout the movie. Overall, I think it was, Probably one of the best superhero movies I've seen in a while. Um, It was definitely the best origin story that I've seen. So all in all, it was a very uh, wonderful film-going experience.
0: Not a negative thing to say. All right.
3: Skylar, what did you think? Deadpool is the best superhero movie of this year so far and of last year by a mile. Uh, It is... Just so much fun to watch through. Has repeat value beyond what you could imagine. Um, Ryan Reynolds is great in the lead role. I love the rapid-fire approach to the jokes. And more than anything, um, I loved that it was so genuine in its story, characters, its approach to the character was so spot on with what that character should be and the fact that it doesn't condescend to you, treat you like you're dumb and has some actual heart to it. Yeah, this is a really intelligent
0: film for kind of being an R-rated violent schlockfest. It is... well, schlock's the wrong word. Uh, Grotesque barbecue? Hold on. I've got a phrase here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, But... This, I mean, it's, it's, you just have to be astounded that this Deadpool movie got made in the first place. Because overall, like, Deadpool is more of a cult famous character. I mean, he shows up in a lot of different comic books, but overall, he's not really a tremendously popular character. He's probably got popularity reigning somewhere next to, uh, the Martian Manhunter? No, no, he's certainly more popular than him. Uh, maybe the guardians of the galaxy pretty close i'd say to them at this point so the fact that they made this and a hard r superhero rated film i mean the last time that happened was watchmen a few years ago didn't do well in dread oh dread yeah and that was even worse um
2: and what's fun is they they know it too. The makers of Deadpool knew that this was I mean and it was it came out in part of the jokes in the very beginning. You know uh, the Deadpool looks at the camera and says, "Now I know what you're thinking. Whose balls did I have to suck to get my own origin film? I can't <laughs> tell you, but it rhymes with Wolverine <laughs> It was just and from that moment you're set up like, "Okay, this is this is going to be fun."
0: <laughs> A very very self-aware film that doesn't Pull you out of it so much that you forget that you're watching an actual story. And honestly, like, this is some profound writing. The fact that they were able to balance the ability to interact with the audience and the ability to tell the tale of Deadpool the way they wanted to tell it. So, well, the, they, the writers
1: were the real heroes of the film after all. That's true.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that too. And,
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh,
2: and I think Ryan Reynolds was the perfect choice for Deadpool. He hasn't had a lot of success with his films in in recent years, but you know this is almost tailor made for for Ryan's true style of freneticness. Um, yeah. I keep thinking about him in Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place back in the day, and then um, oh, what is that? Oh, Van Wilder. You know this this sort of ironic and you know kind of on the edge and kind of funny i mean this this just sort of wraps his true strengths up into one really awesome character i think it worked really well
3: i keep saying that he could have made 10 green lanterns and still been uh redeemed for this movie 10 i
0: don't know man i don't know (laughs) I i don't i don't think i could deal with three green lanterns but no let's talk about some money i have no good segue there
3: Anyway, well, I'm going <laughs> to contradict you on Deadpool's popularity and then lead into money with it because <laughs> um, when I was working at the bookstore, um, we could not keep Deadpool comics on the shelf. They would arrive one day, within hours of them going out, we would be sold out. There's immense popularity for this character out there.
0: Yeah uh the well what i mean popularity is i guess the wrong word he's very popular in the comic book reading world but like not popular outside of it is what it's really hard to describe he's very well known among all comic book readers but if you're not a comic book reader you probably haven't heard of deadpool and like don't understand what he's about but if you do, you certainly do, and he's one of your favorites because he's
3: so fresh. The other demographic that's probably familiar with Deadpool is the Marvel Superhero Squad viewers who oh, are geez. like five and six who should not <laughs> be going to this movie.
0: No, no, no. Uh, but maybe they did because under a production budget of $58 million, it grossed what?
3: $312.9 million? As of this recording, it's still making money. Um, it's projected to en- end up anywhere between 335 million upwards of maybe even 350 by the time it leaves theaters. Oh God, and in its foreign grosses, it's got 362.1
2: for a grand total of 675 million. I really really want to say about something about American culture corrupting the rest of the world through this film but i i can't because it was just too entertaining
0: <laughs> you know let's here's some here's some relativity for you okay um, we're talking about r rated films first of all number one highest rated r rated um, uh, top grossing r rated superhero film by a mile all right uh, but if we're going in like top three highest grossing domestic R-rated films of all time. It is currently third, third of all time, behind *American Sniper* at 350 million, which it's possible it might overtake. Uh, I don't know if it's going to
3: get to *Passion of the Christ* though at 370. Wow, still for a movie that was made for 58 million dollars, that is crazy nutso. So, you know what else is crazy nutso? So, all of the records it's breaking. <laughs> Um, stepping outside of the R-rated sphere. Let's go into the comic book sphere Mm -hmm. where it has just crushed everything you could imagine. Almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is so far the biggest X-Men movie domestically. You know, obviously it's a character from the X-Men universe, but you wouldn't really call it an X-Men movie, would you? Let's see here. It's creeping up on days of futures pasts worldwide Stand status right now, which it probably will get behind, so or surpass. Excuse me. Um. Probably by the time you listen to this, it will surpass Iron Man to become the third biggest superhero origin movie.
0: Uh, Crickets.
3: Yeah, and then you know, not to mention all like the biggest
0: Valentine's, President's Day opening, February opening, R-rated
3: opening weekend. Doesn't it still have those records? It has those and more that, <laughs> to go through all of them, would be a podcast on its own at this point. Oh, uh, my goodness. Just know that its opening weekend was uh, $132.7 million. That's double what uh, box office experts were expecting it to do. And then with the uh, holiday weekend in there, it brought in even more to bring in $150 million.
0: I can tell you what, though. The demographic of when I went to this opening night, it was all what I observed in Arlington Heights, Chicago, uh, Arlington Heights, Illinois. All white males between twenty to thirties, and about half of them had a a a female friend next to them. So it might have been actually sorry about one fourth white females and then about three fourths white males it was the whole theater. And I was like, I th- about all the same age group, and then there was about like one old couple in the top left. I was like, huh. What are you doing here?
2: I'm trying to decide if I'm part of the old couple uh, <laughs> audience for the film, but I it was a date movie for me.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well, the and second so time I went, in that same audience though. I think you're right about that. Mm-hmm.
0: The second time I went, I saw children. I saw a fair amount of children. Same. I was like, <laughs> I was like Wow, okay. They didn't go opening night. That was too late but I went on a Sunday matinee the second time, and I was like, look at all these kids. Oh, my goodness. A man gets slapped by
3: a billboard within 10 minutes. No, I will echo your uh, demographic observations in that when I got to the theater, it was actually probably about 90% late 20s, early 30 dudes in what I dubbed as the douchiest audience I've ever been in. Oh, come on
0: now. You don't know those people. You don't know their life. Okay. The movie was better than the audience.
2: <laughs> the guy behind us laughed throughout the whole thing.
0: Oh, of course. Wildly. There's <laughs> always at least one. Yeah. It's probably me. <laughs> uh, so moving on to some comic book characters. Uh, and boy, these are fun. They've all debuted in this film. This film's not really based on any specific Deadpool story because Deadpool doesn't really have a specific origin story. Uh, I'll describe that later, but let's start with some characters. Bob, agent of Hydra, shows up in this, premiered in Cable and Deadpool number thirty-eight in two thousand seven. Fabian Nassiza and Riley Brown. You see Bob as just a guy that Deadpool sees when he's fighting those crooks at the or those mercenaries at the end of the film. And he addresses him as just Bob, not the fact that he works for Hydra, uh, because Fox doesn't own the rights to say the words "hydra" in their superhero movies that's owned by Disney. Ooh, oh, wonderful I semantics. Didn't
2: know
3: that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they don't even have the rights to that specific character, not just Hydra. They just don't have rights to Bob. What? Well, what? I think they can share Bob, because um, Bob's a Deadpool character. Right, he is. But I think they got around that by just saying, you're Bob, not Bob Agent of Hydra, because oh, yeah. you can't copyright Bob.
0: Yeah, Bob I've the Mercenary. Been. He's Bob the Mercenary now, but it's, it's the same thing. Uh, so Bob Agent of Hydra uh, is a is a guy who was just, just a dude. He was berated by his wife, Allison, not Gail, like was in the film. Uh, joins Hydra because it's a steady job, and uh, he believed they have a full dental plan. He was really looking forward to that, and uh, they didn't. Turns out AIM had a full dental plan, which was was a shame. Having several run-ins with Deadpool, he developed a dedicated friendship with him, hence his inclusion in the film. Next character, Angel Dust. Played by Gia Carano, premiered in Morlock's Number One in 2002 by Jeff Johns over on the Marvel side and Sean Martinborough. Uh, if comic book fans should know that Jeff Johns is very famous, prolific DC writer, but in 2002 Marvel had him for a run. So Angel Dust was a teenage runaway who found and joined the Morlocks in Chicago. Oh, Morlocks, by the way, are mutants who live in the sewers because their mutations are physically disgusting or disfiguring. Christina was her name. She just wanted to make friends and be accepted by her parents. And by the end of the story, that's exactly what she did. So happy endings. Her power specifically was increasing her adrenaline for super strength, but at the same time, it malforms her face, gives her black streaks across her eyes and such. Okay. I usually do a little pause in case there's a small interjection. But if not, am going to move on.
1: Next character. Oh, you didn't want to say my fun facts?
0: I was giving you a chance to is what I was doing. Oh, well, I put it in your section. So mm-hmm. Well, well I figured more if law you law. wrote it, you
1: might want to say it. Okay, I'll say it. Uh, <laughs> more law- <laughs> Morlocks are based off the antagonistic beings from The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. So, like, I don't know, my bookworm side just kind of thought that was interesting. That's also a
0: trivia question in X-Men Legends, the video game of what are the Morlocks based
3: on. (laughs) My my favorite memory of the Morlocks is from the 90s uh, X-Men show where for some reason the leader, Callisto... Is like, the Morlocks would like to invite the X-Men to Christmas dinner, and then one of them becomes a dinner table.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. I totally forgot all about that. Uh, Next character, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, premiered in New X-Men number 115 in 2001 by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely, naming herself after the song Negasonic Teenage Warhead by Monster Magnet. Ellie Fimster was a student of Emma Frost on the mutant island Haven of Genosha. She, p- she possessed precognitive telepathy powers, which had her predict the Genoshan massacre of 16 million mutants by wild sentinels. Uh, when that day happens, she predicted it. She didn't prevent it. Uh, she dies that day in Emma Frost's arms. Uh, Later, she returns as a member of the Hellfire Club's inner circle in Joss Whedon's extraordinary run on Astonishing X-Men, Volume 3. Highly recommend you check it out. Or at least you can watch the motion comic, all five parts of it, which is available. It used to be available on Netflix, but not anymore. But I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. Next character. Blind Al premiered in Deadpool number one, 1997 by Joe Kelly and Egg McGinnis. Really bizarre relationship with Deadpool. They lived together, but she was more of Wade's captive because he would play obscene pranks on her that preyed on her blindness, of course. Uh, He would torture her by making her go into a box filled with sharp objects uh, and threaten to kill her if she ever left the house, uh, But these antics rarely affected her because she was a super tough gal. She could dish back any ridicule and eventually became a mother figure to Wade and his most trusted confidant. She truly is an old lady that just didn't give a shit as long as she had food, a roof, and endless episodes of Matlock to quote-unquote watch. Fun fact, she also dated Captain America in the 1940s. That was proven or confirmed. We're going to move on to Weasel from Cable Number 3, 1993. Fabian DeCisa and Joe, who, help me out here, Madurera, I'm going to guess. Madrera, Uh, (laughs) originally a student at Midtown High, the same high school as Peter Parker and Jessica Jones. Jack Hammer was competing with Peter Parker, for a prestigious internship under Norman Osborne, and he would have got it too if it wasn't for that meddling Deadpool who had accidentally teleported back in time and sabotaged his chances by informing Osborne that Jack was a drug addict, which he wasn't. Hence, Hammer turned his talents to crime, becoming an information broker and weapons supplier for mercenaries under the alias Weasel. Him and Deadpool have had an on-again, off-again relationship because Deadpool frequently needs Weasel's help on jobs, but manipulates him every time and betrays him if it seems convenient. And Weasel is considered Deadpool's best friend.
2: Quick question. (laughs) Yes? Is, Is Jack Hammer any relationship to Justin Hammer? Nope.
0: I don't think so. Just curious. Um,
2: Feels like a fan fiction coming
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but mostly you can attribute all Deadpool's relationships to him being an asshole and people liking it. So next up we have Vanessa Carlisle, a.k.a. Copycat. Uh, her first appearance as Copycat was in X Force number 19 in 1993 Fabian Nasiza and Rob Liefeld started out her career as impersonating Domino on the X-Force team until Deadpool outed her, because he's an asshole, as is his dickish way. She eventually became attracted to Deadpool the same uh, same way everybody else does until he ditches her to pursue his feelings toward Siren, Banshee's daughter. Copycat is a blue-skinned mutant and dangerously precise metamorph shapeshifter. She can mimic anyone's looks as well as their powers. She is currently running a chimichanga stand.
3: I get it. Her name's Copycat, and she's a complete copycat of Mystique.
0: Uh, Well, she's actually much more powerful uh, than Mystique. But yeah, I guess. Pretty close. Um, They did a lot of sort of character revamps in the 90s. They tried to copy a lot of characters that were popular in the 70s and 80s by making them more muscly in the 90s and new. All right, moving on to... Damn Rob Liefeld drawings. Rob L- hey, man, if you were affiliated with Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, or, oh my gosh, I can never remember the character of Spawn, or, I mean, the creator of Spawn. Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane. Those three guys were king. Artists were king of the 90s. And if you were affiliated with any of those three, you were making bank. Everything they touched was gold. It was amazing. And then the bubble burst. So, And then we look back at it and go, really? We liked that? We liked that a lot? Huh. 90s this were a gross. weird time. Don't believe me? Look at the fashion of the 90s and just go, a lot of people like to wear acid jeans? Huh. Okay. I was expecting some commentary from Amy.
2: Uh. <laughs> uh, I just had a flashback to the couple of pairs of acid jeans I actually owned. <laughs> See what know, I mean? Because <laughs> you know that's like '90s, were my my 20s guys that that was that was yeah that was Nirvana and grunge and yeah we were weird, super superheroes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sort of a strange undercurrent of we want to be rebellious, but we just can't because we're too materialistic because the '80s raised us. <laughs> huh. <laughs> that's, that was kind of kind of it. Yeah, that, that's
0: all I have to say. <laughs> all right, so the next character is Francis Freeman, Ajax. In Deadpool 14, 1998, Joe Kelly and Walter McDaniel, that's where he made his appearance, Francis was a bodyguard slash mercenary for a hospice facility known as The Workshop that attended to Weapon X washouts. Remember, Weapon X was a secret... American government co op or covert operation to create a super soldier, and it ended up being Wolverine. So, the people were experimental fodder for a mad scientist named Dr. Killebrew. One of those prisoners was Wade Wilson, he had washed out of Weapon X. Francis actually triggered Wade's healing ability that was latent by ripping out his heart, and then Wade actually grew a new one. Uh, The stress and strain of this being the first thing that triggers his healing factor uh, caused him to lose his sanity and start his career as Deadpool, hunting down Francis and eventually snapping his neck. Ajax, by the way, has the same powers that he had in the movie, so way to go. Whereas Negasonic Teenage Warhead had completely different powers but her powers actually made sense with her name in the film because she did explosive things, whereas in comic books, she just saw the future. All right, so the final character is Deadpool from New Mutants number 98 in 1991, Fabian Nasiza and Rob Liefeld. By the way, Rob Liefeld did have a cameo in this film when Wade Wilson enters St. Margaret's and he's like, Booth? Or Buck, he says buck, and then he says Leifeld. And he just they just walk right over it. That is literally Rob Leifeld in that scene. They pass right over him. They don't center on his face because Rob is notorious for hating to be seen in public. Like he there are very few public pictures of him because he doesn't like his picture getting taken. So the fact that he showed up in this movie is astounding. I caught the name. I didn't realize it was actually him. (laughs) Yeah, they just zoom right over him, but that was him. Uh, Deadpool, his origin story, is a convoluted mess that has been rewritten many a times. Some stories, uh, like one I mentioned earlier about the heart being ripped out, another one where Wade Wilson isn't even his real name and that he stole it from his nemesis named T-Ray. Another more accepted is that he is a Canadian... And he signed up for the Weapon X program after getting kicked out of the U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, And they experimented on him until he got his healing factor triggered and beat his brain cancer that he had. Which is similar to what we see in the film. Originally, DP is just a wisecracking, cold-blooded killer. Meant to be a Spider-Man slash Deathstroke counterpart to Cable's Wolverine archetype because Liefeld wanted to make a Spider-Man-Wolverine duo, but couldn't use those characters. Uh, But when Joe Kelly took over the series, he used Wade's insanity to make him self-aware of his existence as a comic book, which is where the character really started to take off and mold into his own. Nobody seemed to notice that he was doing this, because everybody believed that... The comic the comic book was, was going to get cancelled any minute, so he just kept writing anything he wanted <laughs> uh Deadpool's rise to fame has sort of been slow and strenuous i i I've no idea what continued to push the character forward, but as soon as like new readers hear about him, he becomes a fan favorite for his unorthodox style and witty tropes uh like you said, he just sells right off the shelves um oh wow i didn't that's a nice rhyme because uh, <laughs> of its just post postmodern style
2: and i just want to add here as an expert in pop culture and fan fiction that that carries over into the fan fiction community there's there's i just looked because i happened to be on my phone while i'm talking there are more than 1200 stories featuring deadpool as of right now on archive of our own um, and what's fun about some of those? Because yes, I did OD on Deadpool fanfiction after I watched the movie. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> what's, what's fun about a lot of those stories is the authors are having the best time breaking the fourth wall, you know. And he's in Deadpool's the only character in these stories that knows that it's a story, and he'll occasionally just pop up with, "Well, because the author really likes to see me naked in this one," or whatever. <laughs> uh, and it's they're just hilarious and really. Honestly as a writing exercise I could see that being just incredibly difficult to do. I have no plans to write any Deadpool fanfiction myself <laughs> cuz I just don't feel like feel like doing that. But,
0: but you'll read it for days.
2: You betcha. <laughs> cuz you know I do. That's that's what I do. Um, so as a as a it it's it's just really fun to see a self-aware character especially in a as you say the post-postmodern world where any universe is potentially a real, you know, is potentially the real universe. You know, in a in a post matrix world, are we really here? I mean, it just <laughs> plays with that sort of concept of maybe Deadpool's real, but he's the only one self aware, and and it just sort of messes with our whole idea of existence, and it's really existential in that way too. There's mm. a little deep deep about for you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. All right, which means we're gonna transfer over to our next section. He's waving his hand.
3: After I read the fun fact that, <laughs> okay, uh, New Mutants ninety eight, uh, where Deadpool first appeared, uh, lists these days at upwards of five hundred and sixty dollars if you have it in good condition. That's really not all that much compared to some of them. Yeah, like it, just due to the fact that you know late eighties, early nineties, it's not that old of a comic but then when you compare it to um any other new mutant issue at all it's about 560 times as much well it's 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 mostly because there's so many copies of it
0: that it loses so much value cuz 90s were high prolific uh publishing days there's probably 15 variant covers of that Book
3: as well <laughs> just a couple from what i looked into like maybe one or two reprints but i honestly have not laid eyes upon it in the thousands of comics i got in at my uh, store however the second appearance in uh, x force i don't even remember the fucking uh, <laughs> issue number uh, goes more than a regular comic too at like 15 bucks so fantastic But let's talk about music. Music! Okay. Well, we finally reached the point where we have a score by Junkie XL, also known as Tom Holkenborg, which is what I'm just going to refer to him as now because um, no self-respecting 40-year-old film composer should be going by the name Junkie XL. Tom Holkenborg? Is that the Swedish chef from the Muppets? Might as well be,
0: from what I understand. <laughs> nobody, nobody laughs. Okay, <laughs> it's
1: okay. I put my own jokes. Well, we all have our microphones muted, so how are you supposed to know if we laugh or not?
0: I mean, you can unmute your microphone to laugh. Uh, it adds a wonderful that's, aesthetic.
1: I could. That's just over... so much, so much effort. Uh, so much I do effort it all.
3: <laughs> you know what? Screw you guys. I'm gonna just the podcast's over. Bye. <laughs> You did your best. It's okay. Maximum effort. <laughs> Let's uh, que- that happens to be the uh, first uh, trek on the queue for tonight's episode. Cued up.
0: Is that a is
3: that sampling from a Michael Jackson song? <laughs> Funny you should say that because because um, there are things to like about the Deadpool score and there are things that could you probably have some holes punched through them. Uh, good things sounds like uh, Holkenborg is definitely having some fun getting these playful '90s sounds that. Fit surprisingly well with the movie that's so Gen X heavy and whatnot. Uh, thing that probably could have used some work themes, actual, like, constructed music as opposed to, like, sound design? Maybe. No, but is that from a, a, a Beat It? Is that the opening to Beat It? I don't think it's, you know, the exact. Um, Opening, but it's definitely done through a similar synth or patch as what that sound was. Cause yeah, that sounds exactly similar to it. Whatever, man. You know, um, I was half expecting it to turn into
2: beat it. Hey, you're not alone <laughs> there. I did. was thinking it was gonna be beat it too when I was there. It's like, oh come on, just tip it over, just give me the beat it. Come on. Nope, <laughs> didn't happen.
3: <laughs> not this time. Uh, next track we have in the segment is 12 Bullets
0: cannot place that song anywhere. Uh, like, it's reminding me of so many things. It's reminded me of The Matrix. It's reminded me of uh, a, a 90s Spider-Man video game. Uh, it's, it's mostly just reminding me, of course, of that
3: scene in Deadpool where he's on the bridge. Huh. That's probably a good thing that it reminds you of the actual scene it was written for as opposed to all these other things. But no, there's so much heavy 90s sound in this score, and I just can't place, you know,
1: what... Yeah, yeah. with this one, I just keep thinking Beastie Boys over and over again.
0: <laughs> yes! Beastie Boys! Thank you. Ba brass monkey. Okay. Okay, satiated. Uh, the Beastie Boys of the
2: 90s? Oh, yeah.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I I tend to think they're older. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely not.
2: <laughs> they were even
0: older in the 90s. <laughs> and, uh,
2: and along that same route, Salt and Pepper.
0: Oh yeah, stoop, DMX.
2: Stoop, stoop. And, you know, here's the fun thing about that. I could tell watching the audience when that music came on, what age was sitting where, because Shoop, Shoop, uh, Doop, and like half of us, our, our shoulders were moving. You know, they're rolling up. <laughs> they're rolling down. And it's, it's 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 that whole '90s club scene. That's that's what it was. It's totally right there.
0: Was was Angel by Juice Newton also came out in the '90s?
2: No. That, okay. No, older, that sounds too, too '70s. Oh
3: that, well. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I thought for a second maybe all of the soundtracks mm-hmm. are, uh, pulled were '90s hits, and I was like, that would have been tremendously clever.
2: No, but you know Juice Newton, and uh, there was another one in there too that was that was sort of seventies. That would have been like childhood favorite for a nineties club singer. Ah,
3: oh sure, they had God, um, uh, you're <laughs> the inspiration, which is pretty. Huh, I want to say that's eighties, and then yeah. Wham is eighties uh, as well. I think.
2: Oh yeah, I had a George Michael um, cassette tape that I I just I wore out.
3: <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> On a on a similar note, what other movie are you gonna go to and hear these great '90s, '80s, and '70s for one of them tracks in them?
1: Seriously, Guardians of the <laughs> Galaxy two.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, no, that's that's he's 70s so on stuff.
2: point.
0: He's so on point.
2: He he really is. I think he's onto something there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, what? No, the real question is what movie are you going to where there's going to be a tire rap dedicated to the main character
3: nothing except deadpool which brings us to the deadpool rap not written by junkie xl tom holtenberg but instead written by a group called team Headkick. let's take a listen they call me deadpool i'm hella fast came to mark the bad guys and get some ass got blades for days got gold. And more with bear traps and hand grenades Pull the pistol like a maniac right in your face Popping off caps, leave a trail of guts Sitting on my chair, scratching my nuts Don't stop when I shoot full water was on your Rass is grass and I'm on the lawn Hot lead to the head and I won't stop What your crew gonna do when I hack and chop All these bitches are pre-Madonna's I'll my face with Jimmy chimichangas Tacos and beers, I was keeping it loose Hang on for a minute while I'm dropping a deuce
0: Captain Deadpool, Yeah. yeah
3: <laughs> Deadpool.
0: Nah, he's just Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> man, what was? I really want to know the backstory behind how this song got made. Uh, that's that's going to be my next goal in life is to discover. So Team Headkick was like, we love Deadpool, so we're gonna make a song about him. That's good. That's fine. I've seen that before um you you like something you make a song about it but 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 how did this specific rap end up in the film huh very
3: interesting it's like oh hey we've got team Headkick in the studio for the day let's just have (laughs) them i really
2: think it's good for you to have goals at this stage of your life there michael i really (laughs) do
0: messing with you all right any more music from you skyler
3: No, I don't have any more tracks for tonight. Uh, If you like what you hear from Junkie XL, Tom Holtenberg, um, you can also check out the music he has done for Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, He's credited as doing some additional music for Man of Steel. And on that note, we will hear what he has to uh, contribute in the near future when he is one of two composers on Batman vs. Superman. Wow, this dude's all over the place.
2: Okay. He does a thing for superheroes. <laughs> he really does.
0: All right, so let's move right on to the science section. Grant.
1: Okay, well, just going off the three suggestions that you had to talk about for science. Uh, the first one, uh, Colossus and his metal exoskeleton that he's got going on for himself. Uh this was really the only one that you put on here that I thought was fairly impossible. Just from a biological standpoint, there really isn't anything that uses metal as a shield. Um, obviously, plants have cell walls and bacteria have cell walls, but it, they're not made of metal. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a
0: reason metal and organics are separate. And Colossus's skin is described in comic books as being organic metal. Well,
1: you can't live without metal. You have metal in your blood right now just with iron, and that's just one of many metal ions that you have to have to be alive. So it's not that we survive without metal. but um, So the, what I was thinking just from a standpoint of plausibility Uh, Going, you could make an organometallic polymer, which are things that are used all the time. Uh, They're mostly used in uh, conducting and making computer chips as well as some magnetic stuff. Uh, But the big issue here is flexibility, among other things. So if you break the polymer by moving, now you have to worry about reforming the polymer after you move and then having to do that over and over again. And I know we talked on um, Justice League Gods and Monsters about self-healing polymers for the metal men, and those are things, but just the constant movement and self-healing and breaking and self-healing all the time would just be impossible um, as of current research in organometallic polymers. Not to mention, really
3: uncomfortable...
1: Well, yeah, and then just on top of that, you run into the issue of, you know, if all your cells are coated with this organometallic polymer, how do things get into your cells? I mean, your cells have to get nutrients and basically eat, and they have to excrete waste, and um, your neurons are constantly exchanging things across their membrane to fire action potentials, so it just becomes a huge mess of issues. Plus, with all of the other things that happen with metallic polymers, like the ferromagnetic stuff that goes on, you know, you wouldn't want Colossus to be uh, incapacitated. Anybody, anytime somebody comes around with a magnet, so. Um, <laughs> Hence, magneto. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking more of you know, you're fighting in a junkyard and somebody has a magnetic crane that they used to pick up cars. Well, now Colossus is fucked. So.
0: Well, he can turn it off. Uh, apparently he can't in the movie because he was just eating cereal in metal form, which I thought was really
1: well, weird. Yeah, because you know you see him in X3 and he's uh, human half the time and metal half the time. So, uh,
3: Col- Colossus would know. look crazy if he wasn't in his metal form because he's enormous and CGI. No human <laughs> looks like that. It's true. He does
0: gain height when he goes metal, though. Uh, That is a stat. His hair also becomes coated in metal.
2: And Uh, and Deadpool did explain they've only got Colossus and this teenage Megasonic Warhead, whatever, because that's what they had the budget for. It's true.
0: They They couldn't get a human Colossus at all, though. Danny Cudmore has been cut from the script. It is now two separate people. A CGI motion capture, very tall man who I believe is French, maybe
3: Russian, and a voice actor. Guess what? The CGI version's better than the human guy. Uh, a little <laughs> bit. He's actually a character. They give him lines, yeah. <laughs> Daniel Cubmore maybe said 15
0: things throughout the whole series, and he was on the cover of X3 and X-Men Days of Future Past.
1: Oh. Hey, he was pretty important. He had to throw Wolverine. Twice. In that <laughs> so.
2: <laughs>
0: so true. All right, let's move on to the next topic then. Not being able okay. to feel pain as is Francis's mutant ability.
1: So this is a real thing. Uh, there are diseases called H-SANS, H-S-A-N. Um, it stands for um, hereditary sensory and autonomic autonomic neuropathies, and there are five types, and type five is called SEPA, which is uh, congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis, and so that's a real disorder. People have that. Um, It It means means you can't feel pain at all. You cannot feel pain. You cannot feel changes in temperature. Um, You can't really regulate your body temperature. You can't sweat. So, but as I put in the notes, this is way more of a disability than a superpower. Um, People with SEPA have tons of issues. Well, for one thing, not being able to regulate their body temperature. A lot of them die of overheating or hypothermia because they don't realize they're overheating or freezing to death. So that's bad. Um, On top of that, they cause a lot of self-mutilation. You see people with SEPA, they have tons of scars around their mouth from, like, chewing their lips off and stuff, which is pretty horrible. Um, They poke their eyes out in their sleep um, by scratching their eyes. So it's really quite horrible and not something you really want to have, but it is a real thing. So, I mean...
0: I just I just had a flashback uh, to to a, an episode of CSI where they were investigating how this girl couldn't feel pain. This little girl uh, like she she thought she was a superhero. like she stood up to some boys and she got like she took a bat to the to like the stomach. Um, and the boys were so freaked out because she didn't react that they all just ran away. So she's like, I'm a superhero. I can stand up for people. So they, they test her ability to feel how cold she can get. They dip her in an ice bucket, and another guy also dips his hands in an ice bucket. And as soon as he like pulls out because it's too cold, they they measure her hands, and like, your your hands are dying. You You have... You, just because you can't feel pain doesn't mean that you're not getting harmed by everything.
1: Well, exactly, and they had this uh, on an episode of House as well. They had a patient who had SIPA, and so uh, they had to like restrain her after a surgery because they were like, I know you can't feel this, but you're about to tear all your stitches out and oh. like, bleed to death. So,
0: the thing um, with the CSI episode was, though, it's a little girl who believes she was a superhero. And then you have to tell her, no, you're not. Every time you do this, you could die.
1: Yeah, because it, it's really quite horrible, and most of them don't, Most people who have it don't live very long. Uh, they have to live in a very protective environment and um, have constant care, be constantly checking themselves for self-mutilation. Um, it's a really rough lifestyle, and then it's just hard to live when you can't regulate your body temperature either. So.
0: Mm. Alright, so let's very take a step into the final topic of science tonight. That oxygen deprivation slash stasis machine where it keeps track of how you're breathing and will constantly put you in a perpetual state of suffocation?
1: Yeah, so this one I thought was very straightforward, like almost to the point of not wanting to include it, but it was kind of interesting the way they had it set up. So really all you need is a computer oxygen tank that can be regulated by the computer and then an EKG and an EEG. And so they were talking about how in the film they were going to monitor his heart rate and any time his heart rate slowed down or no, any time his heart rate sped up they would... Lower the oxygen, and then anytime his brain waves slowed down, they would increase the oxygen. And so you just use the EKG to measure heart rate, and you use the EEG to measure uh, brain electric uh, electric brain impulses output, and then you just regulate the oxygen flow. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is something that you could go make, assuming you have access to an EKG and an EEG, which Aren't even new technology. EEGs have been around since the 40s, and I think EKGs have been around since even before that. So um, you, these are, are you, just very basic medical instruments that people use.
0: This sounds like this sounds like some something you would hear about at Guantanamo Bay or something. Jiminy Crickets, you're saying it's very I, easy to make this? Maybe not
1: inexpensive, but definitely easy. I don't know the going rate for an EKG and an EEG, but like. Normally, if you're having some neurological issues, the first test they run is oh let's go get an EEG and then if that comes back negative, then we'll waste our money on something more revealing like an MRI or something like that the same thing with a heart issue first thing they always go to is an EKG because it's so simple and been around forever um, Maybe there are some uh, Geneva laws that are preventing you from doing this kind of torture to people but yeah, this would definitely be something that anybody with access to basic metal cool equipment could make in their garage, to be honest.
0: Oh, okay, let's not give anyone ideas. Uh, <laughs> t- kids, don't do this at home. Uh, don't. Don't do it. Uh, it will not give you mutant superpowers. Probably.
1: Yeah, you'll probably just die. <laughs> Yay uh
0: much like anything you really do in movies or anything Deadpool did in the whole film did you see 127 hours spoiler alert are you there god it's me margaret <laughs> <laughs> what is that I, what was that reference
2: from
3: okay so i had to look this one up cuz i was not familiar um, apparently that is a book by judy bloom yes um about a young girl named Margaret, supposedly, um, learning about what it means to become a woman. Oh, so, so he so, in, so much. In, in the scene where he <laughs> sprays blood all over Colossus, he, of course, had to reference that book. Oh, man. I, I wish that, you had a whole
0: segment of just breaking down every single joke by Deadpool throughout the whole movie.
2: That would be so well, entertaining. I, I, I would
1: uh, so enjoy that. That whole, Skyler having to look up that referencing brings me to my drinking game rule. Of <laughs> if you're the only one in the room who gets the joke reference, you have to finish the bottle.
0: <laughs> that could happen so many times in a night.
1: <laughs> well, I okay, not Did be that,
2: present. I really better not you,
1: be present for that. Do any of you know who Basil Fawlty is? Do any of you count. get that joke? Yes, you know Faulty Towers. Thank you. Nobody I know knows Faulty Towers. Yeah. So.
0: Um. Well, it was amazing the lack of laughs at when he went my most prized possession, and he pulled out or it, it did a cut shot to that little Deadpool doll,
1: figurine from... of Deadpool from Wolverine. I yeah, laughed at that. I thought that was hilarious. See,
0: so, yeah, like the first showing I went to, everybody laughed. The second showing. Nobody. I was like, there was a stark difference in in like the people going to watch the movie after opening weekend.
1: Well, I'm like 90% sure the only reason people laughed at the Basil Fawlty joke other than myself was that he said it in a British accent, and they thought <laughs> that was funny. Not because they actually know who Basil Fawlty is.
0: Well, then he was wearing a Bea a, a, a a Arthur T-shirt when he was ski balling with Vanessa Carlisle and if you know from comic books, he has a infatuation
3: with the golden girl, Bea Arthur.
0: See, it's funny. The one...
3: <laughs> <laughs> the one I didn't get was actually the um the post credit one where it was a reference to Ferris Bueller. You didn't, didn't get, get that? that? That's the most obvious one. I, <laughs> not if you haven't seen Ferris Bueller. Yeah, really. I mean, you've you just never have to seen know Ferris it. Bueller. Oh, okay, Skylar. <laughs> oh Skyler, my gosh.
2: I, I have to tell you, you you must run, don't walk, to wherever it is you can get a copy <laughs> of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and you must watch it because there are so many references to that in this film, not just that end credit. <laughs> um, I'm
1: like 90% sure that. Paris Bueller is on Netflix, so you have zero excuse, Skyler. <laughs> Watch movie. Okay. Um uh, way, science is wrapped up. Yeah, um, that's all and, I had for science. Uh, 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 uh
0: Doctor Lauders, is there a, a a burning topic you would like to <laughs> express in your in a in a in a section revolving around you discussing Deadpool with us?
2: Well, you know, I've already addressed some of the things I would have addressed in this section. <laughs> As that's fine talked. because you know it, it really is sort of a non-stop you're right it's nineties it's a it's a non-stop this is my generation this is you know all the jokes we got them every single one all of the music we get it uh, but I think that you know, this this self-aware character thing that that um is probably the most intriguing part of the character of Deadpool uh, Really speaks to sort of this self-awareness, you know. A lot of a lot of Gen Xers, you know, were kind of in on the joke in terms of what our lives have become and what our lives were like and what they were going to be. And yet, um, you know, we can't we can't take ourselves too seriously. We we just can't do it. Um, And I think that that uh, that that Deadpool really reflects some of that. So when when you come back to the basic question of you know why does something become popular I mean clearly this is popular and you, you can see the money and you know that it's popular what what is it touching on why does it you know why is it successful now I think you've hit a lot of the main points you know first of all we've got Ryan Reynolds who um, I think his niche really is in in the the, the crazy you know just kind of out-of-the-box character he's tried to do some other things it hasn't been really successful for him this is him this is his character I think this is going to be his signature frankly um, then we have you know the as you say the non-stop in jokes you know there's so many jokes in this film you can't cat ke- you can't keep up um, and you'll be four jokes down before you get the one that was you know you know five minutes ago and you're like oh my god that was so funny you know I, I it's part of why I want to go see it again is because I know I missed stuff it was just that fast um, and and then there's this existential crisis thing that goes on when you've got a self-aware character. Um, if, you, if, you, if you understand sci-fi universe sort of theory and the concept of the multiverse, what this is playing with is the notion that Deadpool actually exists somewhere. And where we exist in one place, he exists in another place. And there's all sorts of universes out there where there's you know other sorts of existences. And it's kind of fun to fantasize about and it's kind of fun to think about and it's definitely a fun concept to play with as writers um, and as, as uh, sci-fi fans and as, and and so forth. But it, it is an existential crisis thing. It's, it's a are we really here, do we really exist, is it possible for us to be aware of ourselves in that kind of a way. And, of course, what happens to Deadpool as a self-aware character, he's just totally batshit insane. I mean, that's just all there is to it. <laughs> Because if you become self-aware, if you're aware there is an architect to your universe, that's like that's like throwing the curtain back, and we're not really allowed to do that without losing our sanity in the process. Um, it's very Greek. It goes back to Cassandra in Greek mythology. She was the only one who could tell the truth, but no one ever believed her. You know, this this those who speak the truth, those who have that eye on that existence, and they know that that. Uh, the deeper truth and the deeper understanding, they're they're doomed to never be able to share it for one reason or another.
0: Yet they'll Uh, be hilarious all the time.
2: they'll be hilarious and hot. You notice how many good-looking people were in this film? (laughs) Holy cow. Well, they do that
0: bit at the end too where they're like Ryan Reynolds and then they show the little Deadpool cartoon. He's hot, gets a small boner. And then (laughs) Marina Baccarin, she's hotter. Bigger boner, and then Ed Screen or Ed Scrine, the guy who plays Francis, is like he he's hottest, and then he falls over because his boner's so big. Well,
2: so and they, they recognize that it all the way through. I mean, I that was. Oh, and that T.J.
0: That... Miller is just to die for.
2: Well, and I I, I loved that whole montage with them, um, Wade and Vanessa month to month, uh, and the and, and, and the uh, International Women's Day. Uh, celebration, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, you're not going to get away with something like that on, like, 98% of the films are out there that are for mainstream, I should, <laughs> I should say, are mainstream uh, viewing. Supposedly. Not nearly
0: <laughs> enough people laughed at Happy Lent. Not nearly <laughs> enough. <laughs> that was the best, though.
2: That, that was just,
1: the best one. That was so <laughs> funny.
2: But, you know, that also sort of speaks to the fact that as I understand it, Deadpool is, can, 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 in canon, a pansexual character. Um, and and so... That's correct. So you're, you're taking... I mean, they don't really allude to that in the film so much. There's just kind of that hint that there's there's just more to the sky. <laughs> but that also is kind of an a, 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 almost a 90s product, I want to say, because the common acceptance and the recognition of the spectrum of sexuality really has only been in the last 20 years or so, too. So there's just a lot of a lot of uh, a room for growth here. I think it just touches on a lot of notes that resonate with people. Um, I have to say that Gen Xers probably loved it for the nostalgia factor, among other things. Although I did. I can only speak you know, as, as, a, as a member of that particular generation.
0: Um, and children loved it for the blood and sex.
2: And gratuitous butt jokes. <laughs> Don't forget that.
0: So many
3: oh. butt jokes.
2: So many butt jokes.
3: <laughs> Here's a good one. In the uh, the second viewing I went to, there was a kid who was so young he could not read the opening credits and had to have his parent or guardian read it to him.
2: Oh, <laughs> Now see, a kid that young should not have been watching. Oh Deadpool. my
0: God, though. Oh, I might Did pay to that watch meme? that entire reaction. <laughs> oh, humanity. A, uh-uh. I'd invest in that child's future.
2: There was a meme running across Facebook just before the movie came out. And they were Deadpool was cautioning people, himself was cautioning people, parents not to allow their children to watch this movie. Well, it's R rated.
0: I mean, there's a reason yeah, the ratings exist. Is. I got carded. You know, let's <laughs> like, come on. Like, I it's get that I that <laughs> I have a I have a boyish face, but you gotta look at me and go, mm, he's past 17 at least.
3: Uh, I'm flattered that you think I'm still going through puberty. But come on, lady. They carded every single person in line oh. for the opening showing. Oh stupid. <laughs> so I want, dumb.
2: I just I want to add one more thing here, and that has mm-hmm. to go back to the fan fiction aspect of this too. Because when we look at that sort of existential thing, fans really who take it who take their interest in characters to a level where they're investing in creating new universes for them. And that's really what they're doing when they're writing fan fiction. They're creating new stories, they're creating new universes, they're creating all sorts of new materials. You know, you can kind of get a measure of the popularity of a character in terms of its versatility for universe building by how many stories you can find out there for it. And while we were here, I I mentioned there were 1,200 stories. Well, that's in the Deadpool all media types category. When you just search for Wade Wilson, as Deadpool, there are like 3,300 stories, like triples, um, in that's terms not, of the number of stories available.
0: Yeah, that's not even including all the published comic books he's been in.
2: No, this is just fan-written, fan-authored stories um, with this particular character. And he would have to be an incredible challenge to write um, a self-aware character that that uh, is basically arguing with the author throughout the entire piece uh, that you're playing with. Um
0: Sometimes he even jumps Big in challenge. between panels.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I think that, that that is really well represented in the film. Uh, Ryan Reynolds just boom, boom, back, forth, sideways, zoom, <laughs> zip.
0: Fourth wall in between, fourth
2: wall. That was my, one of my favorite lines. Oh, look, it's a fourth wall in a fourth wall. That's like That's 16. That's like 16 walls. walls. Yes, exactly.
0: Is um, it really 16
2: walls, Grant? Four times four is 16. <laughs> I I I I want to confirm that with our science guy though. That is 16, correct? Cuz you know, I'm a cultural studies person.
1: Uh yeah. 4 okay. for squared is 16. So
0: <laughs> and in case you're wondering, Deadpool has been featured in 1670 comic books as of today.
2: So, in uh, terms of written communication, In just our our known sources right now, there's like 4,800, almost 5,000 Deadpool stories available for people to read.
0: Get out there, people. And one of them's a movie.
2: Yeah, and if you don't like what's out there, write your own, (laughs) because that's what this kind of character's for.
3: On uh, the topic of stories out there, just to plug quick, a very good one that's uh, actually running right now is the Spider-Man Deadpool uh, run that started up this year. Mm -hmm. I would recommend it. Very nice.
2: Hey, there's a whole category of fan fiction devoted to Spider-Man, Deadpool, Slash. Enjoy.
0: Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's...
2: Whew. On that note...
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's let's. finish this out. All right, that's going to wrap it up today, Superfans. Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, find us on your provider of your podcast whether it's stitcher uh, uh, iTunes Google cast which is soon to be released I think we will be a member of that I don't man it's really it's really weird the distribution system of podcasts it's not very centered or besides iTunes and really even there it's still confusing as all get up but wherever it is put us on the throw us a rating it's free for you to do Make it, make it a five because, you know, that's the only number you could give us is a five out of five. Duh. Uh, and just so we get more awareness of, and because it's very kind of you to do. We give you free entertainment while you're washing dishes or working out or in the shower, whatever. Whatever you're doing right now and listening to this podcast, it's free. You're welcome. So just take ten minutes and rate us, please. Five. Five minutes. Three minutes. Please. Thank you. All right. Moving on
1: tryoutcop.com. The website should be up to date after our two-week spring break that will take place following our mailbag episode. So submit your questions to us on Twitter. This is where we always say we'll use whatever you say on the air. n. Yeah,
0: very literal. I don't know what uh, that
1: was. Why I, was
0: I, got, I was writing what you were going to say, right? And then I got interrupted. And so... I didn't finish it and that's, you just decided to just Ron Burgundy the shit out of that. Um, thank you.
1: Yep.
3: Yeah. As he said, uh, we still have our active Twitter feed at super M studies. Follow us there. Uh, send us your questions. Let us know what your favorite joke in Deadpool was, or if you had a particular one that you had to put some, uh, research into after the fact. Make that a competition. The deepest Deadpool joke. Seriously, tell us the one that had the most layers.
2: I still <laughs> really love the rhymes with Wolverine thing. that <laughs> <laughs> <Not> <laughs> a oh, lot With the accompanying picture of Hugh Jackman's Sexiest Man Alive cover. That <laughs> just I think that set the whole tone, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned.
0: All right, so that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer, Jim skeller Hertzma,
1: and Grant Austin.
2: With Amy Matson Lauders.
0: And I hope you all have a super week.
2: Hey, yeah, I want to shoot, baby. Shoot. Ooh. How you doing, baby? Shoot. No, not you. You. Shoot. The bow-legged
3: one. <laughs> yeah. What's your name? Shoot. Damn,
2: baby. That sounds... Uh, here I go, here I go, here I go. Again, girls, what's my weakness? Man. Okay, they're chillin', chillin', mindin' my business. Word. Your source I looked around and I couldn't believe this. I swear, I stand, my niece,
3: my witness. The brother had it going over something kinda.